Well, in many ways, my heart has been broken in the preparation and thought put into the series on the sanctity of life. And I feel so weighty even now coming to another sermon on the topic this morning. And and all I can do is cry out to God in prayer for help. And would you come with me to God in prayer for help this morning? Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious and holy God. There is no evil within you. You are good and just and merciful. You're patient with the wicked. You're patient with each and every one of us here. And you've revealed things to us in your word that is more glorious than any of us deserve. Would you help us all to just listen to it today and always, to heed it, to pay attention to it, to set our hearts upon it. And may it make a difference in how we look at everything in life And may it make a difference in our life and our thinking even today. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, from a biblical perspective and worldview, I think we've seen here at our church from our Genesis series a few years ago and also the last two weeks for those of you who were here in looking at Psalm 1. 39. I think we've seen that the Bible teaches clearly that pre-born babies in the womb are image bearers, human beings created in the image of God and have intrinsic value and worth even from the very earliest stages of life. Now, you may not be convinced of yourself of that reality yet. Even if you're a professing Christian here. As many have been kind of swept away and culturally conditioned in a different direction in our day and age. And I understand that. Or maybe you generally agree with what the Bible teaches about the value of life but also hold to a few exceptions and reasons or excuses that you would warrant or encourage or promote abortion yourselves. And I want to just tell you up front, wherever you're at on this topic, it's my hope and desire and heart that you might reconsider as we continue to dive into this topic of the value and sanctity of life in these final two sermons in our series dealing with abortion world views. Well, what is a worldview anyways? In short, as Francis Schaeffer once wrote in his powerful book on the issue of bioethics called Whatever Happened to the Human Race, which has also been made into a movie. There are clips from the 70s. It's excellent. I recommend that both book and movie to you, but this is what he says about worldviews. He says, each of us has an overall way of looking at the world, which influences what we do day by day. This is what we call a worldview. And all of us have a worldview. Whether we realize it or not, we act in accordance with our worldview. And our worldview rests on what to us is the ultimate 
truth. And I know I've already spoken about the issue of the sanctity of life in the first two sermons in our series, but it's now my intent to further dive into the topic of abortion and hopefully just maybe to be helpful to you to further convince Christians, professing Christians of the biblical world and life view, and and maybe even unbelievers who do not trust Jesus, the gospel, and who do not submit to the biblical worldview. I hope that this might be convincing to you. Because some of us here, even if we've grown up in the church our whole lives, have some cleaning up to do when it comes to our worldviews, if we're honest. As many of us may have bought into certain so-called truths from the culture of death that you really have no reason or warrant believing as a Christian in terms of what the Bible teaches. And you see, it all comes down to our real worldviews. Not just what we say that we believe, but what we actually believe when push comes to shove. When the rubber meets the road, what's really in our heart and our feelings and our thinking and our doing? So that's why we're going to consider the topic of abortion worldviews in these last two sermons, addressing both the pro-choice worldview this morning, as you see on the screen, and giving quick answers to it, and then ending next week with the pro-life worldview, promoting a way forward for us as a church so that we might be salt and light in a fallen world. And before any of us here fall into the lackadaisical, nonchalant, apathetic kind of approach in our day and age for any number of issues... Because we could be so numb to the many injustices in our world. I want us to remember here up front again what's at stake. Don't forget. Don't get duped and blinded and lulled asleep the decades of horror on this topic. Remember that if it was not for Roe, many of the over 60 million legally aborted babies would still be alive today at various ages. Think of how different things might be in our world. Think of the families and children that would have been here to make an impact on our world. Think of the number of human beings that are just missing. And the many ways that these image bearers could have blessed others based on the things that they might have done and been in other people's life that may have even been an impact on your lives. Personally, think of it. You may have been best friends with someone who was aborted, but not so, as they were terminated before you could ever even meet them. Just think about the unbelievable number of 62 million aborted legally in America alone to mention all the others throughout the world. How might they have changed the world we live in today? We're only talking about less than the last 50 years here. I hope you can see that. Many of these people would still be alive today, maybe in this very town. And what about 
335 million Americans in our world today. That's about an astonishing 20% of Americans who are not here that could have been here if they weren't aborted. Just, just let that sink in. 20% more neighbors, friends, children, brothers, sisters, doctors, pastors, farmers, entertainers, mothers and fathers, all gone. 20%, to put that into perspective, in a town that we live in of 1,700 people, we're talking about 340 people gone. That is staggering. Imagine if we woke up tomorrow morning and and realized that that kind of 20% were gone. That's what we're seeing as it relates to this. Don't let yourself grow numb to the realities. What possible personal thinking and worldview would lead so many, 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 many people to the decision to get or to promote abortions. What is it? Sure, of course, people could say, oh, there's so many political motivations that are involved. But this is just not a political issue alone or even a feminist issue or even just a religious issue. But as Francis Schaeffer put it, this is a human issue. This is what he said. Listen to it clearly. The fate of the unborn is a question of the fate of the human race. We are one human family. If the rights of one part of the family are denied, it is a concern to each of us. But the worldviews you see from people getting or promoting abortions are the real-life driving factors that lead to these irreversible decisions. There are many, so many. So I think it's good for us to examine some of these pro-choice worldviews together as they are certainly not all the same. The reasons why people think and pursue abortion. There are a wide variety of motivations in that regard that goes into someone's decision to killing their offspring, to be sure. There's a wide variety of views and, and, and inclinations and thoughts and hearts So it's good for us to examine them, even as we're examining them. I hope all of us are strengthening our own personal worldview, beliefs and thinkings and feelings ourselves. That is really a lot of what this first sermon on pro-choice worldviews is about. So let's jump right in and start with worldview group number one. And pro-choice worldview number one, uh, I called the no-holds-bar position. Or as you see there... There's just no excuses. Not even trying to hide it here. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 7. It says this, Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. This kind of a passage really depicts the kind of evil that is so far gone down a certain path or road that no longer even blushes when it comes to evil, sin, and wickedness, as R.C. Sproul helpfully puts it. Not even blushing at this point, just headlong, no excuses, all the way in on this culture of death. And Sproul 
who wrote an excellent book on the topic of abortion in the early 90s. I think it was 1990 when it was first published. He taught in that book that the issue of abortion can be boiled down to whether or not the fertilized egg and now zygote or embryo was a human life or not at conception. He's like, back then he's like, man, this is where it's at. Is it human right there at conception or not? That's what it boils down to. And for many, that's what it boils down to in, in terms of the debate. A big part of the debate is on that topic, to be sure. But you see this no holds bar category of anything goes is in a situation that they're ready to pursue and permit this kind of act of abortion whether or not a preborn baby is human. That is not even the question for them. They could care less because for them anything goes. And in a documentary recently came out, Sproul admitted as much and realized later in his life after the culture of death continued to persist through the 90s to the early 2000s into the 2000s and 10s and 20s into the situation that we're at now, he, he admitted that the issue is not just about whether or not this preborn life is human or not because some people just don't care either way. The culture of death in its most extreme forms is ready to swiftly shed blood as Jeremiah described there in, I mean, Isaiah 59. Isaiah, so, so where are people are at? These are worldviews that are leading to these things. In this category, there are no excuses or reasons given to abort a baby. If the woman wants an abortion, basically or if the elite figure deems certain people unworthy of life or unfit, then that's a good enough reason for them to abort babies. Margaret Sanger, for instance, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, was someone who believed, kind of like Hitler, that certain ethnicities or people with disabilities should be encouraged to be aborted. Did you know that? That is racist. That is morally reprehensible. Thankfully, most people in our day don't promote that kind of thinking. But as one author put it, for Sanger, birth control and abortion were the best way to increase wealth, decrease undesirables, and usher in a better and brighter future for the more fit at the expense of the less fit. In her own words, Margaret Sanger wrote in her 1920s book titled Woman and the New Race. She said this, The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Now I've seen people look at our family in the grocery store and ask us with all the kids, Do you know what causes that? They've done that with Stacy, with me. Or I've heard kind of the, the sharp comment or little digs, meant in jest, but could sometimes reveal just an unbiblical worldview and thinking, comments that, hey, 
You might want to look into finding a, a new hobby or something and stop having all those children. This is just a twisted worldview where, where children are looked at not as a blessing but as a curse. And as a father of six kids, I think we'd be considered a large family, right? We know that. In, in, in any test of that word, what an evil thought for someone to actually believe in their worldview, as Margaret Sanger does, that abortion or murder of innocent preborn children is merciful, as she says. Now, that is the prime example of calling evil good. Do you see it? A no holds bar kind of flagrant obstinance and bloodthirstiness. Terrible, wicked. That's the worldview. Like the woman I saw in the video clip after Dobbs' decision had gone through and Roe was overturned, she passionately exclaimed that she was ready to go out and wanting to go out and get herself pregnant just so she could use her right to murder her baby in the womb because that's her right. That's what she wants to do. That's how she thinks her rights give her the reason to do that. That's a kind of no-holds-bar. I don't care. I'm going to do what I please Kind of thinking. Or consider the well-known philosopher, Peter Singer, who has written and been involved in some over 50 books. And in his own words, on his website, he says this. He says, I am also known for my controversial critique of the sanctity of life ethics and bioethics. So at least this guy's self-aware. He knows what category he falls into. He knows who he's the enemy of. And I mean, he's world-renowned, even receiving awards for his work. In just 2021, he won the Berggruen Prize for Philosophy and Culture, which was no small prize. It came with a $1 million reward. He has a TED Talk on poverty and even wrote a book on animal liberation and rights. Apparently, for Peter Singer... He values animal life even more than he does human life. Now, all this information was taken directly from his website, what he wrote about himself, just just to be clear. It's what he wrote on his website. And you want to know what kind of no-holds-bar worldview he has? Now, we can have discussions and talk, and people do, about different stages of preborn life all day long. But none of it is off-limits for Peter Singer. I mean, he thinks that parents should be able to choose to terminate their newborn babies up to 28 days after they are born if they decide they don't want their child due to disability. That's his view. That's wicked. That's bloodthirsty. And this guy is somehow awarded and taken seriously in the public square. Peter Singer doesn't see preborn or even early-born babies as human persons because of some criteria that he works out in his twisted worldview. It's all a mess how he gets there. Do you want to follow a guy like that? It seems many esteem him in our day. Many buy into various personhood excuses themselves, but Singer almost just wholesale throws out the needed excuses out the window with his godless teaching and thinking This is where his worldview leads. Do you see it? Only a kind of consistent atheistic naturalism that denies the existence of God and a moral law giver can stoop that 
low. Or an altogether careless, apathetic agnosticism, or, of course, the eugenicist kind of dictators like Hitler or Stalin who justified the killing of ethnicities and people they deemed less fit. Those are the worldviews. Or you can add, of course, Satanists who follow their false god, Satan himself, who is the father of lies and quick to shed blood and promote bloodthirsty murder himself. People in that kind of worldview fall into that consideration as well. I remember seeing in social media just a post about some Satanist group that was encouraging abortion in light of all the recent Dobbs decision. And this is their... (laughs) philosophical, religious position, and they're putting it forward. Oh, it's a no-holds-bar, child-sacrifice kind of thing. It's wicked. Obviously, most do not want to promote a kind of Hitler-like, Nazi, racist disregard of life. I get that. But I want you to see, and us to see, that the consistent naturalism that says we are all just evolved from animals and here by chance and also the last almost 50 years of indifference to human life, that these kinds of things desensitize so many in our world. And it has led to many even to respect so-called people in our day making arguments like this. And Francis Schaeffer is right. When we disregard what he calls the mannishness of man, which is referring to the difference of humanity over and against animal life, the mannishness of man. When you just toss that reality out the window, you are left with a kind of disregard of human image bearers as if they're nothing but junk to be tossed out in the trash. And that is exactly what Ben after Ben, full of pre-born baby human parts, reveals in our day outside of abortion clinics. Because why? Babies are murdered there. Let's not forget. But when you go this way and think that everyone's like a chance-created naturalistic machine, as Schaefer argued in his book, now all human life is discarded and treated poorly, leading even to infanticide as the heartbreaking documentary that I watched in the last week, Who Shall Survive, from the early 70s that depicted parents being interviewed and given the right in an actual hospital to choose, based on bioethics, whether or not they wanted the birth of their child to be born and and having that choice, even as kind of Peter Singer has, has argued himself given the right to choose to let their newborn child starve to death because they didn't want their child due to disability. Well, that's just unthinkable. Wicked, evil. Then they made that decision. 15 days, the poor baby. That's what this worldview leads to. And as Francis Schaeffer warned, what was unthinkable in the past quickly becomes thinkable in future generations. Sadly, now thankfully, there have been laws added against child abuse and these things of that nature that will no longer put that decision in parents' hands like they did 
in, in the early 70s, but that was there. And it's from a culture of death. It's from a worldview that leads to that disregard of human life. Do you see where this no-holds-bar, atheistic worldview, there is no God, leads? It leads even to infanticide. It leads even to the discarding of other people that the, the world may not think is valuable, that are valuable image bearers. It leads to euthanasia. It leads to a total disregard of human life. Man never be even a little bit in our hearts to hold a worldview like that, church. Now, not all atheists believe and think this way. Thankfully, praise God. God's common grace resists. Not everybody is wicked as they could be, even those who don't believe in, in God. And in fact, as we'll see even next week, some atheists are even pro-life as they follow the science as so clear, so it's not just that that worldview is going to lead to these things. Some are actually pro-life and see value and dignity in human beings, even atheists. But some people go down this bloodthirsty way, just depending on what their thinking is, what their worldview is. Now, I'm really, really clear in guessing that, not, that most of us here don't fall in any aspect of this category of worldview thinking, right? I get that. But notice, even in our political climate, What used to be coined as safe, legal, and rare, which was wrong then, just as it is wrong now, it was wrong to even push that agenda, but it was also not true, evidenced by the 62 million babies aborted since. But what used to be pushed as safe, legal, and rare is now being pushed to the full brink today. We know that. We're not living under a rock, right? Abortion is now being kind of encouraged in all stages, in any situation, in in the political realm. And nowadays, if you're running for office in a certain party, the more bloodthirsty and pro-abortion everything, the more you can add that you're for when it comes to life and abortion, it seems like you're going to have a better chance to be elected based on where we're at today. That's just how it is these days. We know this, right? There's no debating that. Look at all the positions and arguments and start paying attention to the no-holds-bar worldview when you hear it and see it espoused. It's dangerous, it's wicked, it's evil. And this leads us to our second worldview position and number two now. We saw the no-holds-bar view where there's just really no excuses here now to worldview number two, the pro-choice warriors. And in this situation, you have strongly argued Excuses in the public square. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Do you see in those words how realistic the Bible is and how it explains things so well? It so accurately depicts the foolishness of sin right there, doesn't it? This pro-choice warrior position is one you will see more discussed in the news, talked about people all over on websites that encouraged and argued. People loudly and proudly for women's right to choose to abort their baby. You see, there is this way that seems right to a man or woman. Now, there's a sliding scale of arguments and convictions and worldviews that falls into this category. 
Sure, of course, you know, the atheistic naturalists fall also into this one as, as well as that first one we considered before. But did you know, so do mainline denominations. The United Methodists, for instance, and certain uh, other denominations, liberal Presbyterian denominations like the PCUSA, uh, or also other, um, you know, churches, if you could call them churches, like Unitarian churches, um, or even some liberal Catholics, like our, our president, fall into this category of pro-choice warriors. The argument here seems to be a public strong excuse-making or reasons given why aborting a preborn baby is justifiable in different stages of development based on certain reasons that they may have. The issue here, as you all would probably know, is the issue of viability, and which is really the prenatal time where a baby can you know, usually actually be born and then survive and live on its own, and so they've created these certain times of you know, more valuable, and different people put the point of viability at different times. Some say 22 weeks, others say 26 weeks or higher, um, and this is the debate. When, when does that baby become viable and things of that nature? But you see, they're all arguing on this sliding scale of viability that the fetus is either not yet human, as some would say, prior to that point, or not yet a person, as they would make that distinction. They might say, okay, maybe it's human, but it's not a person yet. But as Greg Kokel helpfully said, but where, he asks, where's the dividing line? And then he says, personhood language has a bad history. Back to the Third Reich. It's a way of dividing out humans who don't deserve to live. And I agree with Kokel. But sadly, so many in our day fall into this category and do not. In fact, of course, the liberal mainline Protestant denominations fall into this category. But did you know that even the Southern Baptist Convention and the national meetings in the early 70s and into the 70s, voted on resolutions. You know, we've talked about resolutions that happen uh, where the, the voting body decide on what they think is good or not good. During that time, they voted on resolutions allowing abortions for a number of, of reasons, even for, uh, you know, certain, you know, psychological things that are going on. And, and it just seemed like more of the arguments for this pro-choice <laughs> warrior argumentation back in the 70s. You can go see it publicly, read it for yourself. You can look at all that the Southern Baptists have ever said about uh, the issue of abortion. And, And thankfully, just to be really, really clear, the SBC has changed drastically over time in its views and has come out with multiple resolutions uh, correcting that into the 80s and then all of the, obviously now really strong pro-life denomination. And of course, the Baptist faith and message, which I've taught, also strongly and convictionally teaches against the evil of abortion. So don't get me wrong, Southern Baptist Church does not fall into a pro-choice category, but I hope that this illustrates that even that there's confusion and has been confusion even in conservative denominations historically over these very important issues. And I hope that anybody who might be dabbling with pro-choice ideology here today might be convinced of the biblical worldview. Just move away from those arguments as they are neither biblical or rational. Come come along and see it for yourself and be convinced. R.C. Sproul, Scott Klusendorf, and even a short booklet by Randy Alcorn 
that I will be handing out to each and every one of you next week as we close out our series. All of them argue that though the pro-life position is certainly biblical, and it's the only legitimate Christian position, they also make basic, rational, common sense, scientific arguments pointing out the foolishness and clear wrong-headed position of all forms of pro-choice argumentation. I mean, if a woman's right to choose is upheld as the supreme decision maker, does that just mean that she has the right to choose anything and everything she wills? If her toddler reminds her of a bad memory, for instance, or is a drain on finances or difficulties in life, does she have the choice at that point to terminate him or her? Of course, most people are not arguing that in the public arena. But I want you to see that the arguments for women's choice does not logically prove that they have a choice to end the life of their preborn child on these sets of circumstances. You saw before that baby is an individual being, living being, separate from the mother's DNA and everything. So it's such a foolish thing to argue choice in these ways. So people in this category argue this viability thing, this excuse to try to get out of the implications of murdering actual human beings because murdering human beings sounds like a really bad thing. So they bring up this whole kind of excuse of viability to add to the mix. But if a preborn baby in the womb looks like a baby, as we see in ultrasound so clearly, moves like a baby, and even has organs and body parts like a baby, then what is it, I ask? I leave it for all of us to choose and decide here. What is it? I watched another horrific documentary called The Silent Scream. Some of you might have remembered watching this even as it aired in television state, uh, stations in 1984. That's the year I was born, so I remember that at uh, the end of the year there. It depicted a pre-born 12-week baby in the womb via ultrasound and the carrying out of and the dynamics of an abortionist and how the baby was reacting to tools and things of that nature. Clear for all to see the implications of what was really going on in an abortion. And this is, by the way, the most common time for many abortions to happen, around 12 weeks. And this documentary suggests clearly in in an image of the baby with his mouth open as if it was screaming like a child underwater crying for help desperately. Terrifying. Horrific. Now... I read article after article after watching that about different pro-choice activists responding to the documentary claiming that a baby can open up its mouth for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it was yawning when it was getting prodded there. Or responding to the stimuli for different reasons. It might move around. Uh, they Probably other reasons than pain is, is kind of how all of them are strongly arguing here. So the whole counter-argument is that maybe the baby didn't feel pain. I mean... How foolish and wicked are we for us to look at a preborn image in the womb of a small helpless baby and debate whether or not it can feel pain? As if it makes a difference? Okay, so maybe we might grant that a baby can't feel pain at this stage or not, but does it justify the tearing 
apart, which is what abortion is. I want us to see this. The narrative comes a different way and shows you something else. I I must speak to the reality of these things. It doesn't justify it. What happens when you leave the baby alone and you protect it? And don't abort it. It continues to develop like you and I did in our mother's wombs and is born months later, weeks later, or in some cases, days later or hours later based on when abortions happen in our day. Let me ask you this. Does time really make a difference? Logically. So it's okay to abort on this day, but a few hours later, it's not okay. (laughs) That's foolish. No way. Okay, at this point, it's out of the picture, but a couple hours before, it's okay. No, that is arbitrary insanity, and I hope you can see it clearly. There's a different message telling you something that is logical, and it's good, and it's it's scientific, and it's biological, and it's just okay. It's an outpatient search. No! No! If a baby is a human being, as embryologists even scientifically can point us to the facts of life, even in, in an embryo, do we ever have a justification to kill it or abort it? I don't care what situation you might th- throw out there or someone might throw out uh, other than, for instance, maybe the distraction argument of ectopic pregnancies that oftentimes get thrown out in the debate, which in an ectopic uh, pregnancy is going to inevitably lead to a miscarriage and also the imminent danger of the life of the mother. In a case of an ectopic Pregnancy, of course, a surgical procedure to save the mother is necessary and moral. But an ectopic pregnancy, I hope you can see that procedure is to protect the mother from her pregnancy that will never survive. And that is not what an abortion is. That's off topic, and someone will bring those things up to distract you. Maybe you've had conversations with people like that on social media. I know I have, or in person, I know I have. That's not what that is, because an abortion is the intentional killing of a growing preborn baby at different stages in violent and murderous ways, either through pills that can kill or tools that are inserted to rip apart or a number of other life-ending murderous actions. That's what abortion is. And Planned Parenthood makes its billions, and other doctors are made rich by the destroying of preborn lives. What a culture of death that is. And if you remember a few years ago, Planned Parenthood was even exposed by Lila Rose and others as they recorded conversations about the underground racket of selling fetal body parts and organs illegally, if you remember that kind of thing going on. This is just a picture. If this is not a picture of the culture of death, I don't know what else is. And so many have the audacity to argue for the morality and justice and mercy of this in the public square. I even heard a debate recently where the pro-choice advocate who likened abortion providers as if they were the good Samaritans helping women get rid of their unwanted pregnancies. And many with this worldview are passionately seen yelling and screaming and picketing women's rights to murder as if it's this good and wonderful and gracious and compassionate thing. Oh, how long, oh Lord, As R.C. Sproul said in his public lectures on this, he says, if I know anything about God, 
I know that God hates abortion. And I know that he will not tolerate this forever. You might get queasy here and uneasy about some of these descriptions. But we need to wake up. I've been diving into these things for a reason. We're talking about human beings here. We're talking about a human issue here. I've been exploring and discovering these atrocities so that I might plead with all of us to help wake us up to this injustice. We're talking about the human race. We must speak up, as Francis Schaeffer warned years ago. You still don't maybe believe that the preborn life is a real human life worthy to be lived? Consider one failed abortion attempt using a saline infusion method to burn the child alive in the womb. It failed. And a little girl named Melissa Odin, who's now a fully grown woman, was born. It's a little baby there, accidentally, because the goal was to terminate her. She survived. She lived in writhing pain, of course. Now, her mom thought and still thinks, the last I heard, she didn't know who her mom was because she thought that she was dead as she went to the doctor for that reason. And the doctors did what they do in that situation. And her mother moved on. But a little, a nurse kept that little baby, Melissa, alive rather than the so-called normal approach and procedure, even to this day, of letting failed abortions that babies are born in light of that just die out of inattention outside of the womb by not giving it any care. The nurse acting kind of like Moses' mother, putting her son in a basket in the hopes of saving his life instead of drowning him as the authorities were saying needed to happen. Some authorities, some governments, some people even force abortions based on how many children you have. You know, you know about those types of things. May it never be. And I don't care how many excuses and so-called reasons that people with an abortion warrior worldview might have. I hope you can see that they are all simply completely beside the point, especially for Christians. We shouldn't even be kind of drawn to any of those arguments. We should be repulsed by them. We should be heartbroken by them. And if you believe like them that the preborn baby is not human, okay, then you're not only being unbiblical, but unscientific and irrational. But that is the excuse you have to make if you're going to keep on upholding a woman's choice to terminate her offspring. And it's a wicked excuse, let me be clear. And now this leads us to our third and final point, and that is pro-choice worldview position number three. Out of sight, out of mind. This is a kind of naive, secret excuse-making that many make, sadly. Proverbs 28 and 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This final pro-choice worldview really falls in to the many men and women who are on the fence on this topic. 
I guess if anyone here falls into any of these positions, this is the one that you're most likely tempted towards. It's not a public position that you post all over your social media feed and talk about in between services with people. But nevertheless, it may be the worldview position that you hold. People who are not quite sold in the pro-life position and because of life circumstances and some bad advice, maybe even given from a trusted person, whether it's a man who may have pressured you or someone for an abortion or a parent who might have even encouraged or taken a child to an abortion based on wanting to end that unwanted pregnancy or even the unthinkable godless advice by some pastors who will tell you and encourage you to go get an abortion. I've seen some of that advice the last few weeks by people who are saying they're spiritual leaders and pastors and men of God. They're not. Or simply, someone who might have a nonchalant, who cares kind of view about things, very apathetic, careless, not moved by it, who says, well, I may not personally have an abortion myself, but I want to take, I don't want to put my views on other women, and I don't want to take away a woman's right to choose herself if she thinks that an abortion is necessary for her situation. Randy Alcorn argues in his book that I'll be giving to you next week. He says this, being personally against abortion but favoring another's right to abortion is self-contradictory. He says, it's exactly like saying, I'm personally against child abuse, but I defend my neighbor's right to abuse his child if that is his choice. We need to keep coming back again and again to this issue of whether or not the preborn baby is a human being. If yes, there's really no excuse or reason to be pro-choice. Stop being blind to that false narrative of a culture of death that the baby in the womb is somehow not human. Or like others, I've even heard of and witnessed the professing Christian who even granted humanity at conception, but is still upholding as a Christian, as a professing Christian, others' choice for their own murder of their preborn child if they so to choose. If they so choose. That is just, it's foolish. How do you get there? Certainly not from a biblical worldview. Now, I want to say this. I am sensitive to the many women who have, for instance, been victims of godless men who used and neglect their responsibility, for instance. And if you've ever known or encouraged or been that godless man, hopefully you're repentant here today, or hopefully you leave here repentant because this is a real problem. This is a real problem too. I say alongside Philip Jensen, the pastor, he says that a big part of the problem of the whole Issue is men's lack of responsibility. I like how he emphasized also, he says that everything in the girl's life is screaming, get out of this. Talking about abortion. Just get out of it. 
And he goes on to say uh, that saying no to abortion in our day is like asking a young woman to swim against the tidal waves of culture. And he says, let's not simply blame the young woman alone. I agree with him on all of that. That is why I want to speak to all of us here at First Baptist Church of Gallatin because I don't know what all of you have gone through in the past or what you are going through right now. And I want to let you know that I realize that there are really hard things that many women are pressed with. I, I get that. I get that. I'm sensitive to that. I want us to be a place of, of mercy and grace as a church, as we will see even next week, that cares for people caught up in various challenges and finds themselves in unwanted pregnancies. I don't want us to be the prideful, got it all together, goody two-shoes, put our nose up into the sky when someone's suffering and ignore and shut the door on on women who are struggling in this way or make people feel like second class if if they know somebody who's pregnant or if a child is is pregnant outside of wedlock. No, we need to be a church of mercy and grace that upholds the dignity of life, all life and encourages something, a church that encourages it, not pastor and leaders and parents and people that encourage death. May it never be. There are really, really hard things that women are pressed with. Some are in such terrible situations. Some are abused. Some are taken advantage of. Some are assaulted. These issues are not neat and easy and something we can just kind of carelessly brush off and discard and ignore. No, these are real issues, real suffering women go through, which is why, as we'll see next week, the, 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 uh, the pregnancy centers outnumber abortion centers. Last I've seen, four to one. And in some states like Missouri, way, way, way even more than that. Uh, we need to have compassionate care and love. We need to be churches that do that and other things as well because some women are in these awful situations. We need to care and help and be compassionate. And I am oh so terribly sorry for any of the evil that anyone in our church has ever gone through. The statistics as it relates to abortion are staggering. And so chances are many of you, this all hits really close to home. And the statistics when it comes to sexual abuse are staggering. And chances are for many of you, this hits close to home. Nothing excuses what has happened to you in any of these injustices. All of it is evil. All of it will one day be judged by God. God hates all of those evil offenses that have happened to you, even if you've been, and especially if you've been abused and hurt. He hates that wickedness, and me as your pastor also hate it, and my heart goes out to anyone in that situation. But the question remains, if the preborn child is a human being made in the image of God, is there ever a reason to abort and kill and add to the trauma and wickedness with an action like that? We can and must be for all other avenues to support other than abortion and be willing to encourage hands-on care of hurting women and also to seek to put forward the goodness of adoption and and foster care and different things where, where children can be loved and cared for even when their parents are unable to do that for whatever 
reason. This is what we'll see more even next week and as the pro-life position upholds. But the unwanted child, let me encourage everyone just to think about this, is not the one who should be punished in any situation. As many have said, the womb is the most dangerous place to be because nowadays people are having abortions so frequently that the deaths even of abortion far outweighed even all the Americans who died who had COVID-19 during that, that, that period of time, for instance. It's unthinkable. It's, it's a real human problem. If we care about humanity, we care about this issue of abortion and we oppose pro-choice propaganda and confusion and ignorance and biblical unclear things. And if you've been told the lies of the abortion culture of death and you have secretly, little by little, believed them even as evangelical Bible believes an issue of hiding and shame and covering up and concealing. But let us expose the culture of death and darkness as we saw in Psalm 139, that God is with us even in dark situations, even in our sin. If you've had an abortion secretly or secretly held views like this yourselves, it's not too late to change your mind and repent today and tell anyone that you know that you've shared these views with that you're sorry for the bad advice and counsel that you may have given in the past, encouraging abortion or promoting that worldview. And now give better, more rational, more biblical advice now and into the future. That's my, my heart and plea for you. The gospel is big enough to deal with those types of things. God is good and able to break through the darkness and shame and guilt and actually provide grace in a way to erase the shame and hurt and depression that's carried out in this world for those promoting and getting and putting forward uh, their own right to terminate their own offspring, their own baby. The gospel can speak into that and bring grace and mercy. If you've taken that kind of way in the past or encourage that. If you've gone that way or, 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 or given your blessing to that, sweeping bad decisions under the rug by an abortion, and if you have naively and easily just lied to yourself and others, believing the lies, even of the pro-choice movement, because of whatever's going on in your life, there's a way forward in gospel grace, even for murderers. I want to emphasize that Again, even as we saw in Psalm 139 in King David. If you're a Christian, your worldview must change on this. So I say it again, let Psalm 139 and the rest of the biblical witness change your thoughts and actions, change your worldview. Don't rob yourself or others out of the gospel hope and grace for sinners who have gone the pro-choice way. Only sinners need the gospel and sinners who have gone down this way can receive the gospel. But if somebody thinks that abortion is not sin and it's, it's, not, it's just justified, it's okay, it's just a procedure, you're not gonna go and seek God and the gospel for forgiveness. We need to think clearly because the gospel is at sake. The gospel is the answer. So all of us, let's, let's change and align our worldview. It's not too late. Don't toss out the grace of God and his sending this, his son to die for sinners. Don't toss it out for your own consciences. Your conscience won't be helped by that. 
The abortion industry and the pro-choice view don't help your conscience. They just sear them. Believe in God and his word. Turn from this pro-choice worldview and help others to do it as well. It's the only compassionate, merciful, and truly good Samaritan kind of thing for any of us as Christians to do. And let's pray. Father, we're thankful for how your word gives us direction in a world of chaos and craziness and confusion and insanity. Thank you for your clear and direct vision in actions and living. Thank you that we have the, the, the clean promise of a clean conscience for those of us who turn to you for forgiveness and grace. Would you cause all of us to turn to you for your grace and mercy right now that you might be glorified. We say this in Jesus' name.